Today we'd like to talk about a very, very important matter. We'd like to direct our thoughts to the Holy Spirit. Scripture is found in Hebrews chapter 9. Begin with verse 11. But Christ, being come a high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered into, in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Because if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse or purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this reason, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they who were called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. That says a great deal. Primarily the reason, though, I chose this passage as our primary scripture is because of the way the Holy Spirit is described in verse 14. He's described as the eternal spirit. Now we understand basically everything except God is not eternal. <laughs> and therefore, since he's the eternal spirit, he is God. We find also this thought in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 5, we find beginning with verse 3. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the price of the land? While it remained, was it not in your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own power? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Now back in verse 3, he said he lied to the Holy Spirit. Verse 4, it says he lied to God. So that points to the fact that the Holy Spirit, again, is seen to be God. But there's also presented in the Bible, the Father as being God, and the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as being God. Very clearly, the Bible says God is one, and yet God is presented as these three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, we may not be able to understand this, but that's what we find in the scripture, and so by faith we accept it. As I mentioned before, there's an illustration that kind of helps me a little bit. 
It is not a perfect illustration, but it can be helpful. That's the illustration of H2O. You all know what that is. That's water, isn't it? But we know water in three forms, do we not? There's solid, which is ice. There's liquid, we normally just call it water. And then put it on the burner, pretty soon you have steam. You've got solid, liquid, steam, and yet it's all H2O. Well, that kind of helps me to be understanding that there's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and yet he is one. Another thing that kind of helps me is the very, very beginning of the Bible says God created the heavens and the earth. The word for God in the Hebrew is Elohim, but that's a plural word. The I am part shows that it's plural, Elohim. Some say it's merely a plurality of majesty. But I suspect in the light of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that it's probably more than that. So we accept that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And today we are focusing on the third of these three, the Holy Spirit. Notice he is called holy. He's without sin. And we are called to be like him. Jesus never sinned, but he was able, therefore, to die for our sins. An acceptable sacrifice to God. Now, as we focus on the Holy Spirit himself, back in Judges 14, 6, we discover that Samson was empowered by the Holy Spirit to kill a lion with his bare hands. That took a lot of strength, did it not? And so that's just one place where we see the Holy Spirit has great power. As we go to Acts 1.8, Jesus said, you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me, to Jesus. And then he mentions starting at Jerusalem and ending up in the whole wide world. We need power to be witnesses. Holy Spirit gives us that power. And we find that it was poured out on the day of Pentecost. Thousands of people came to Christ. We find other times great power through the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. One of the things the Spirit does is he gives us gifts as he chooses. There's a lot of different opinions about the gifts he gives. You can read about the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. You may read also about the gifts in Romans chapter 12, Ephesians chapter 4, and somewhat as well in 1 Peter chapter 4. But now I'd like to read from Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 
beginning in verse 27. I'd like to do this because there are some people, well-meaning, many of them, who tell us that unless you speak in tongues, unless you can speak in these languages you don't understand, that you are not baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit. Some even go so far as say you're not saved unless you speak in these unknown tongues. But what does the scripture say here? And by the way, someone once gave me a book to read which she thought would help convince me that you really need to speak in tongues. Instead, even though he was a teacher in a Bible school or some such thing, he misused the scripture. Even this scripture he, right here. What does it say? 1 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ, and members in particular. And God has set some in the church. See, God has done this. First of all, apostles. Secondarily, prophets. Thirdly, teachers. After that, miracles. Then gifts of healings. Helps. Governments or administrations. Diversities of languages. Now here's the key thing. Are all apostles? So what's the answer to that? No. Not everybody's an apostle. Are all prophets? What's the answer to that? No. Not everyone is a prophet or prophetess. Are all teachers? Does everybody have the gift of teaching? Especially the Holy Scripture. The answer is same. No. Not everyone has this particular gift. Are all workers of miracles? No. Do all have the gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with languages, tongues? Obviously, the answer is the same. The answer is no, they do not. Do all interpret? No. So it tells us very clearly not everyone has the gift of speaking in languages he or she does not understand. And so to insist that to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, you've got to speak in a foreign language, I believe is incorrect. This is helping us to see that it's incorrect. God is the one who gives the gifts. And he gives various gifts to different people as he chooses. But it's interesting how then the inspired apostle takes it a little step further here after making that point very clear. Yet I show to you a more excellent way, something more excellent than these wonderful gifts that God gives. What in the world could that be? Well, you've got to go to the next chapter to find out, don't you? Though I speak with languages, tongues of men and of angels, and don't have love, I'm become as a sounding brass or tinkling cymbal. So we find the great chapter of love here, 1 Corinthians 13. That's the more excellent way. 
more excellent than these wonderful gifts that God gives. And then in chapter 14, it goes back to this powerful thought, follow after love and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy and so on and so forth. So he's showing the preeminency of love even over the gifts. And as he concluded chapter 13, he said this, now abides faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is what? Love. Greater than faith, greater than hope is love. So he's emphasizing that. And so we see one does not have to speak in foreign languages to be a Christian or to be filled with the Spirit. There is an interesting situation, though, that people will use, perhaps, to argue that you do have to. In Acts 8, verses 15 to 17, we find that Philip had gone down and evangelized among the Samaritans, those who were part Jewish and part Gentile. And then Peter and John went down there, and the Holy Spirit fell upon them at that point. And how did they know that? They probably spoke in foreign languages, in tongues. And why would that be? Probably simply because it proved to the bystanders and to everybody that, yes, these Samaritans were accepted fully into the body of Christ. It had a reason. No one could question that. In fact, Jesus had gone there earlier, as you know, like in John chapter 4. Samaritan lady, and the town was basically turned to Christ. And then you go to chapter 10 of Acts, and you find in verses 44 to 46, another case where people needed to know for sure that these people were fully accepted into the body of Christ. What people? Cornelius and his household. Why is this significant? They were not Samaritans, but they were fully Gentile. They were not even part Jewish. And so when they were allowed to speak in tongues, that helped those present, Peter and the six that came with him, to realize that, yes, God has accepted the Gentiles into the body of Christ. So there was proof to them, Samaritans and Gentiles, all of us are welcome to come to Jesus. And we sang about coming to Jesus, didn't we? About coming out of the night and into light to coming to the Lord Jesus. Proof of acceptance. What is really strong here in the scripture, as far as being filled with the Spirit, what I believe is the fruit of, of the Spirit. We read about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. There are nine things mentioned here. It's one fruit, but it's ninefold. 5.22 and 3, Galatians. But the fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, it's love, very first one, that important one from 
1 Corinthians 13, that excellent way. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, faith or faithfulness, meekness, self-control. Now that is really a proof of the filling of the Spirit, of the baptism of the Spirit. People who grow these fruits, as it were, those in whom live these nine wonderful gifts. First of all, starting with love. In fact, over in the book of Ephesians, here's what it says in verse 19 of chapter 3. And to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. So if you really want to be filled with all the fullness of God, what's it talk about? That you have to speak in languages? No. It talks about being filled with love. The first of the ninefold fruit of the Holy Spirit. And you know, love is so important in a church. It's amazing how much the Bible speaks about loving each other. Recently, I knew of a situation where they were having a business meeting and one person wanted to change the thermostat to something and another one wanted it a different way and one of them ended up leaving the church. <laughs> Love means forgiving. Love means being, even though you may not agree with someone, still to truly love that person and want the best for that person. The Bible tells us we are to love one another fervently. And you see, the Holy Spirit enables us to do that very thing. Another wonderful thing about the Holy Spirit is the victory which he offers to us in our daily lives. In Romans chapter 8, we learn of this victory. First of all, we see that the Holy Spirit lives in every Christian. I might add, whether they've spoken in foreign languages they don't understand or not. Verse 9 says, You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God lives in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So we see that Every Christian has the Holy Spirit and has Jesus. Now we see the victory then that's offered to us in verse 13, Romans 8, 13. Because if you live according to the flesh, you shall die. But if you, through the Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, do mortify or put to death the deeds of the flesh, you shall live. So it says, we are to, through the Holy Spirit, put to death sin, wrong things in our lives. We are involved. If you do this, we can't simply say, sit back and blame God if it doesn't happen. <laughs> we have to cooperate. If you, through the Holy Spirit, there's the power, put to death the deeds of the flesh, the sin, then you see it can happen. And God gets the glory, though we need to cooperate with him. 
Now we learn about the Holy Spirit also from something that Jesus said at the Last Supper. Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 14, verse 26. Last Supper, as you recall, was just a few hours before he died on the cross for our sins. He knew it was going to happen, but he was going to send them something. Verse 26, but the Comforter, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatever I have said to you. Going to teach them all things. So the Holy Spirit is a teacher. As we study the word, he can help us understand it. In fact, it's a good thing as you have your daily Bible reading personally that you first pray that God would give you understanding that he would use his word in your life. He's a teacher. He's the one who gave the scripture and he's the one who interprets it, helps us to understand it. But notice he's also called a comforter. He comforts us. He's the one called alongside, like a lawyer, too, to argue on our behalf, to represent us. So the Holy Spirit is a comforter. He's a teacher. And it says in the end of this verse, bring all things to your remembrance, whatever I have said to you. Have you ever at a critical part in your life thought of a scripture that was very appropriate and helped you make a good decision and stay on the right path? Holy Spirit, you see, reminds us of the things of Jesus and things of the Bible when we need to remember those things. He shall bring to your remembrance what I've said to you. But a little corollary of that is simply this. If he's going to bring it to remembrance, you must have studied it ahead of time. How can he bring something to remembrance that you've never heard about? So yes, we need to study the scripture, and then the Holy Spirit can help us with that scripture at important times. After they left the Last Supper, we find he speaks of the Holy Spirit then. Chapter 16, verse 13, John 16, 13. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak from himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. He will guide you into all truth. So as I suggested, good to pray as you study the scripture that God would guide you, help you rightly divide his truth and not twist it as many people do. He's called the spirit of truth. Remember, Jesus also said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. If you ever watch TV, which probably we all do some, there's a lot of things put on commercials that you question. <laughs> Sometimes they just may be twisting truth a bit, 
promise things they can't deliver. But thank God we have the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, who's not going to do that kind of thing. He will guide you into all truth. He'll guide us. You know, he can guide us in our lives. He can help us at critical junctions in our lives. In Acts chapter 8, verse 39, we find that Philip was guided by an angel earlier, and then he saw a chariot, and it says the Spirit spoke to him. He was guiding him to do something. He told him to join himself to that chariot. And you can read about it there in chapter 8 of Acts. A very important Ethiopian official was there, and he was reading from the book of Isaiah. And so Philip went there, and he got invited to join him. He wisely asked him what was going on. Did he understand it? And that's when he invited him to come up and help him understand it. So he had wisdom, too. God guided Philip. He spoke to Philip by the Holy Spirit. And so he can guide us into all truth. He can guide us by his Holy Spirit. Back to 1613. That I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Excuse me, I was back in chapter 14. Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatever he shall hear, that he shall speak, and he will show you things to come. Holy Spirit is true, and he shall speak the truths of the Lord. And he said he'll show you things to come. Well, he did that. He showed them various things. Is this still true today? As with Philip, does the Holy Spirit speak to his people? Does he comfort them? Does he help them understand the scripture? Does he show them things to come? We would tend to shrink back, at least from that latter one. But you know, the Holy Spirit's the same. And if he chooses to, he can do that with any believer. May I share once that I believe very strongly that God did that for me. It was a very important juncture in my life. I'd been a pastor for many years in several churches, the senior pastor. I was at Redwood City. And I was soon to be without a pastorate. I believe God had guided me in that direction at that point. At any rate, like anybody not yet retired, we live in this world and you need finances to take care of things. PG&E and the water company and the telephone and what have you, they don't just say, well, you're a good Christian. We just give these things to you. That doesn't happen, does it? So anyway, knowing that I'd soon not be the pastor there anymore, I would have completed five years, which I'd agreed to the pulpit committee I'd be there at least five years. And so I'd fulfill that commitment. 
But I remember in the hills up above Redwood City toward the west, and you could also have people from San Carlos that would often walk up there, trails and things, good to get exercise. Well, sometimes I'd walk up there. This particular particular day I was walking up there, up toward the top, and I was under some shade, under some trees. I think they were oak trees. And I prayed to God that he would provide a church. I wasn't planning to be the regular pastor anymore, just an interim pastor. I was 62 at that point. And guess what happened? I'd asked for a church to be the interim pastor, change from regular pastor, just to interim, in between. I was impressed with a word, churches, not just church, singular, churches, <laughs> plural. I believe that God spoke to me and said, yes, you'll have a church, but more than one, you'll have plural, churches. And then that's what happened. I became interim pastor at First Baptist Roseville, and then the Tahoe Indian Parish as a missionary, sort of, at Carson City, Nevada, and then thirdly in Arbuckle. And it's interesting how it worked out that I finally then retired on my 65th birthday, which happened to be the very month I turned 65, which at that time Social Security kicked in full time. So I share that with you because I believe that perhaps on very rare occasions, maybe not so rare as I think, God may actually show us things to come to comfort us and to help us and to guide us. The Holy Spirit, wonderful comforter, wonderful indweller of each Christian. To have that great gift in our lives is immeasurable and we should abound in thanksgiving. We should glorify God in all things and at all times. In the scripture that I read earlier from Hebrews chapter 9, it also strongly talked about the blood atonement for Christ, which he gave for us, of which we also sang. Communion is something God has given us to remember that great once-for-all sacrifice that he gave for us on the cross. Some people call it the Eucharist. That's simply from Greek, ephkaristo, thank you. So when we come to the communion, we thank God for what it represents. It represents the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave his sinless, blessed body. He shed his wonderful, valuable blood on our behalf. God accepted that. No one else could have done that. But out of his great love, and we heard this on family radio this morning on the way here, he did that very thing. 